0: Coming up in this episode of The Ziegler Show.
1: What I've realized is, by and large, I'm generalizing here, and this may not be the case for many in your audience, but as a nation, certainly, people don't want to learn. Mm. Uh, Learning requires acknowledging briefly that you don't know something, which we're taught to avoid. And it's easier to not learn, quote unquote, and get back to work. Uh, And the second thing is people... uh, don't want to change their minds. You know, if a book is gonna help you get somewhere you've been unable to get to on your own, you're gonna to have to change your mind about something. Hmm. And both of those things make us uncomfortable. And both hmm. of those things require, as you intimated a moment ago, require uh, us pushing out those distractions, those otherwise uh, nice dopamine feeling type hits, and sitting down with something like a book.
0: Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life, and we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them good and bad, and we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you then in my true life podcast we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back you can find all three of my shows in apple Podcasts. just search for kevin miller or go to my website kevinmiller.co. and if you're new to the ziggler show i invite you to visit ziggler.com connect with tom Ziegler and the ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Voracious reading is going to benefit us by exposure alone but ultimately the point or at least the opportunity is to learn we all have access every day to life-changing books where we can learn from the life lessons and wisdom of the world's most successful people in any arena reading however is not by proxy learning and growing we can read and not ingest a whole lot And are we reading the information that is most relevant for us to begin with? Harry S. Truman famously said, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Jeff Brown has made this topic his focus to study reading. And while it can be the most powerful tool in our life growth arsenal, it's not as simple as just, again, exposure to the words on the page. So he takes us through in this episode, the details and nuances of reading to showcase what actually fosters true digestion of the messages and them taking root in a way that incites us to action and the real change We desire. So Jeff has a podcast called Read to Lead. He started it in 2013. He's interviewed nearly 400 of the world's most successful and inspiring authors. And from the massive insight these interviews provided him, and his own reading of a book a week over the past 10 years he's just published his first book amply titled read to lead so in this episode we break down the root issues around not just reading but reading to learn and grow and find the success and fulfillment we desire uh, you can connect with jeff at readtoleadbook.com and you can get the first chapter of his book there for free Jeff, the Jerry Maguire movie, you know, you had me at hello, uh, is appropriate here because, you know, with a book called <laughs> read to lead, now I could sit here and espouse it and advocate it and go, yeah, man, I'm on board, but it would kind of like be like, you know, sending out a, a, a life saving tube to a drowning person and them being really grateful because readings that's, I mean, outside of my parents, which is awesome. That's all I had. Cause I didn't I didn't do schooling. Um, I mean, I barely mm. made out of high school, terrible grade point average, never stepped a foot in any formal education after that. And books mm. were it for me. So anything I can claim is primarily from, yeah, my parents or books my parents had me read. And today uh, it's, it's number one. I couldn't, you couldn't find a bigger fan for what you're doing. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. And I kind of, uh, and we'll maybe find out more why later, but I kind of envy that experience school experience you said you had? Uh, I sometimes wish mine were more like that. <laughs> you know, it,
0: it's, I, I wasn't good with authority, for one. I had some really bad school experiences. I actually mm. went, and this, okay. this isn't fair, and I, I apologize to anybody who teaches school in Kentucky, but the time I was in, it was I think it was 49 out of 50 states in education. And, mm. man, I, I had, you know, the grateful thing is I had other interests. You know my parents, and I had my mm. own business uh, as a kid and was uh, bike racing. And I had other interests outside of that, but the focus of your book, the power of reading, I am, I am your chiefest, I would say fan, but also product of that. Anything I can Mm -hmm. claim again. Um, so I am, I'm really stoked to see the book out. What was the catalyst for you saying, man, I want to put out a tome on reading, draw people's attention Mm -hmm. to it.
1: You know, it wasn't immediately obvious to me to do a book about books, uh, about reading. Um, I have hosted my podcast by the same name, Read to Lead, for just over eight years. And I've been asked a lot, Kevin, you know, Jeff, when are you going to write a book? And I I never really had an answer for when uh, or what it would be about. I was kind of stumbling along with trying to figure that out. I knew I wanted to write a book. Yeah. Uh, But I had no idea what that was going to be about. And honest to goodness, it took someone else coming to me, my co-author on the book, Jesse Wisniewski, saying, hey, I've got this idea for a book and I've run it up the flagpole and I I haven't gotten any takers. And the pushback I keep getting is you don't have a platform. Mm. And I said, well, what's the book idea? And he says, well, it's called The Reader's Edge and it's right up your alley. It's it's espousing uh, the benefits of intentional and consistent reading. Uh, how to make the most of this habit, uh, why you should. And I'm like, huh, well, there is an idea that's been under my nose all this time that had never (laughs) occurred to me. And I said, I think that's a fantastic idea because I do have a platform. That's why he was coming to me. I had to think he didn't. And so uh, that was about two years ago and uh, two years ago last month. And we began working on it and he had a literary agent. I signed with the same guy and uh, we started writing once we got a deal uh, as we obviously did. Uh, had some writing samples in there, a proposal, a marketing plan the pretty well laid out. But once we got the deal, we got to really serious, uh, seriously writing. Um, and so far, it's been really, really well uh, received. But if not for if not for Jesse, the book might not exist. Well,
0: it's it, you know, talk about being received. It's interesting when I flip the first page over. Now I've got a galley copy. I don't know if that's where it is in everybody else's copies. But, you know, to see the advocates of mm. your book, of this focus, Seth Godin. Uh, Stephen, uh, Covey, Michael Hyatt, John Acuff, Mark Victor Hanson. I think we've had every one of those on this mm. show, Brian Tracy and Dan Miller, my father on there. All of them have been on this show because, mm. yeah, I mean, we've heard that. And what, what I appreciate, it's not like, well, this is new information, the power of reading, mm. but we're missing it. And that's what I realized you guys saw that here we are in this age and I equate it to like health and wellness. We've never had more information good information on how to be well. Here in America, Mm -hmm. we've never had more information. We never had more access to it. We've got the wealth of the world at our fingertips. And yet we have chronic illness and disease growing at the greatest rate ever. It makes no sense. Now I can, I think there are some reasons that I could point out, but you did that with reading. So here we are with the wealth of the world at our fingertips and we're not doing it. And you talk about that, even the, cause it, what it brought up to me is, man, the biggest enemy of this is ah, I'm going to pick up a book and learn something, or can I scroll Facebook or wherever and kind of like Simon Sinek's thing, I get a quick dopamine hit. I don't mm-hmm. want to take that long to go deep. And there we yeah. are.
1: Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I had a conversation with Seth Godin about this for my show. I know he's been on your show uh, as well. Um, and what I've realized is By and large, I'm generalizing here, and this may not be the case for many in your audience, but as a nation, certainly, people don't want to learn. Mm. Uh, Learning requires acknowledging briefly that you don't know something, which we're taught to avoid. And it's easier to not learn, quote unquote, and get back to work. Uh, And the second thing is people uh, don't want to change their minds. You know, if a book is going to help you get somewhere you've been unable to get to on your own, you're going to have to change your mind about something. Mm. And both of those things, make us uncomfortable. And both of those things require, as you intimated a moment ago, require uh, us pushing out those distractions, those otherwise uh, nice dopamine feeling type hits and sitting down with something like a book. I think books do still matter for the sake of the brain. I think hundreds of years ago, when books first came on the scene, they helped our brains evolve to not just what we think about, but how we think in in a really positive and powerful way. But then in the web age, in the internet age, in the phone in my pocket every second of the day age, those devices and the way we interact with information has undone, I would argue, some of that brain, positive brain evolution that we went through back when books first came on the scene, unfortunately.
0: Well, it's interesting to say that the way that we, re, way that we interact with information, uh, I pulled up a meme that I had read before I went back and found it for this show. And it was credited to being posted just a question on Reddit. And the question was, if someone from the 1950s suddenly appeared today, what would be the most difficult thing to explain to them about today? And some, it's some, it's an anonymous or it's, it shows a user, but we don't know you know who it is, but here's what they wrote. That I possess a device in my pocket that is capable of accessing the entirety of information known to man. I use it to look at pictures of cats and get in arguments with strangers. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hilarious in its amazing, profound truth. That here we are. I mean, I took it to my kids and said, here I am. I'm I'm holding up. Here's my smartphone. I mean, uh, you know, that contains what used to have a whole building worth of computers to, and I can access anything. And I use it to look at, even if it's benign stuff, how how long can I sit there and look for me at mountain bike information or woodworking stuff or (laughs) or even positive quotes, whatnot. But I'm still not engaging with life. So the way that we react with information. So you, I, of course, we'll unpack that a little bit more because we are awash in information. And I would ask you to unpack it a little bit, even in regards to good information, because we know there's a lot of us. I'm going to include myself in Mm it that today Today, I read, you know, a whole book or half a book. It was awesome. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's a self-help book, you know, whatever, which today would be Atomic Habits. It's at the top of the list on advice Mm. and how to Atomic Habits by James Cook. Man, I read, you know, half the book. I listened to two blogs uh, on my commute. I did my devotion this morning. I mean, information, information, information. What are we missing, Jeff?
1: Well, we're missing uh, in oft- oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes we're missing the doing part, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's one thing to fill your head with information. But if you're not doing anything with that information, then what good is it really doing anybody? Now, that's not to say you can't soak up some of this information just for how it impacts your thinking. Now, there is something to be said with for that. Consuming this information like you just described doesn't automatically have to mean you've got a to-do list True. Uh, to go check off now it can be just for how it impacts your thinking. So I often read and consume some of the information I do, Kevin, for how it impacts my thinking. Maybe it challenges my thinking. Maybe it causes me to think about something in a different and and unique way. Uh, But then much of what I read personally uh, does come with a to-do list. There are things that I wanna change. There are things that I wanna implement. And so I think we need to be also setting aside ample time for that, and that starts with just being intentional with your time. You know, Dave Ramsey talks about uh, budgets uh, and how it's spending your money on paper before you go out and you know spend it for real, so you can tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it where it went. And I think it's uh, it's necessary for us to treat our time uh, the same way. So, Allah, one of my mentors, who I, I'm pretty sure you're a fan of, a guy by the name of Michael Hyatt taught me a long time ago, the importance of an ideal week. I didn't get serious about that until just a few years ago. I've been aware of the concept for probably, well, as long as Michael has been talking about it, 10 plus years. But once I began starting with an ideal week and putting the big rocks in first and really analyzing with each week in, in a perfect world, how would this week look once I'd lived it and identifying what that looks like. Now, do I realize the ideal ever, if not every single time? Not very often, if I'm being honest, but unless I'm willing to identify it, I'm never going to have a, a snowball's chance in Hades of ever hitting it. <laughs> and so I think it's important that we recognize and identify what the ideal is and then strive for that. It's not about being perfect, but what happens on, on the road to perfect or attempts at perfect is is we, we find excellence, right? And so uh, that has been the key for me. So that includes things like setting aside time. Uh, for, for those important things. One of those important things to me is reading is reading books is, is reading books. I've specifically chosen to read because of what they might do for me, the answers they might uh, provide. And then I protect that time, just like I would any other uh, meeting or appointment on like the, the meeting we're having right now.
0: You books, you talking about that book, you have a section in the book, a chapter of what books should you read? That's an important one to me though. I do. I do want to, I'll come back to that in a second, because I do want to hit the aspect that we started off here with, Of really we're talking comprehension. It's one thing to read it, as you said, and I think through osmosis, it's a benefit. You know, if we're pumping in positive stuff all day long, not even paying attention to it, I would say, man, that is awesome. It's going to impact you. It's going to affect you positively, but it's not going super deep. And I question that we have this talk about the information that we have these days, there's always something new. Uh, that's getting to be a bigger focus for me, a bigger concern for me. There's always something new. There's always another thing to look at. And there is nothing more enticing than that. And I have to catch myself. I get the New York, my, my literary agent sends the New York times bestseller list from the advice and how to, uh, to me every week. And there's generally something new on there. And my first, Propensity is to go get it and not, and I have to stop myself and say, wait, but I've got one here
1: yeah."
0: and I could read it in a day, but can I study it? What have I taken action on? How has it changed my life? Was it just positive entertainment? And I, and, and your book has me coming back to that mm. impetus to, am I reading the book or is it worth me studying the book? Because when I study one, some of my devotion books, I'll read It'll, I'll take a month because I'll only get two pages in and then I'm writing notes and thoughts and things that, and then I'll go and I'm not pushed to do that. But man, with these self-help books, especially I'm so prone to just whip through it. I think people do that again with podcasting, with blogging, with what, or what's the next one as opposed to, I want to ask people sometimes and let's say, okay, my goal was 52 books this year. That's one a week Mm -hmm. and I did it. And I want to say, okay, how's your life different than it was 52 Mm -hmm. weeks ago? Mm. and it's difficult question for most people and it's convicting again for me so in that I mean you have you talk about that comprehension I don't know if you use the word study but it feels like that's the danger is the yeah the, the, the FOMO fear of missing out and going on to the next thing and even I, I think it's bragging rights to some degree we all want to be hip to the next thing right
1: yeah, and I think uh, for, there's an equation that we talk about in the very first chapter that that kind of comes to mind as you're talking about this. And I think uh, if, if you're concerned about, you know, uh, too many sh- uh, shiny objects coming at you or sure. uh, maybe you're concerned about uh, not engaging with enough uh, important books, I would encourage you to do this simple math uh, exercise or, or equation, and that is uh, – Think about how many years you got left. I mean, take your current age that's and right. subtract I, that I from that. You know, your, your life expectancy. Uh, and let's say that's you know 20 years. You got 20 years left, let's say. Um, how many books do you tend to read in a given year? Um, and multiply that by the number of years you got, you got left, and that's how many books you're likely going to read. Suddenly, depending on the length of that uh, or the, the uh, uh, enormity or lack thereof of that number, y- you're going to get real serious about what's next on that list. Mm. And I would, you know, uh, maybe take that number, let's say it's 20 and write on a sheet of paper, uh, you know, or it's it's 20 years. And let's say you do 10 books a year, that's 200 books, right? So make a list and start filling it in uh, with your 200 books. You don't have to do it all at once, but start adding books to that list. And suddenly you start getting real particular when you realize this is it. (laughs) This This is all of them. Uh, you can do that with a lot of things in life. We're talking about doing it with books, but you could do that with a lot of different things. How many summers do I have left? you know yeah and and then do the, do a similar exercise. So I think that really helps you hone in on what's really important and where do I need to spend my time based on what I think i've got I've got left on this planet.
0: You are listening to the Ziegler show and this episode with Jeff Brown on reading to lead by reading to learn. Remember, you can go to readtoleadbook Get the first chapter of Jeff's book for free. Well, next here, we talk about allowing ourselves to be judicious with what books we do and do not choose to read. Just because a book is the toast of the town and everyone seems to be raving about it, is it the right book for us to read right now, if at all? With so many new books out every day, is any one book so magical and profound that you absolutely must read it? Have you ever read any book that's that significant? So we're going to hit this issue next. yahoofinance.com. exclusive to podcast customers you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value so to get the special deal go to a-i-r-d-o-c-t-o-r-p-r-o.com use promo code kevin thankfully the days of building a business website then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone Today, shopify has fixed all that Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash Kevin. Well, and you talked about looking for the books that are specifically chosen for you. And we are so prone me as well Mm. to looking at, what is most popular, what is most impacting, which I'm going to give credit to. I mean, there's there's something to be said for that. Obviously, if people are clambering for a book like James Clear's Atomic Habits, I'm curious as to why uh, I want to see. It and I And I understand it. He wrote it really well. It's really great information. And yet there's still the question of, is it, as you just said, is that the most important priority for me? And I have learned to be... A a lot more uh, filtering of the books to even see one like, I mean, another all time bestseller in our current time right now is Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving an an F. And Mm. I've seen the testimony uh, to him. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's an insightful guy. But even going from the title there and on into the book, man, it's really just not the spirit of it bothers me a little bit. Mm. Again, not a right or wrong. I don't have to make a judgment on it, but to allow myself, I I guess I want people, I feel like you do that to give people permission to look at a book and say, you know what? It may be really good, but it just doesn't, it doesn't quite, it's not my flavor. Man, that is, there's enough Mm. books out there that if one is not quite your flavor, wouldn't you say just move on, you'll find something else?
1: Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that one in particular. I see that book everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. I I was in a bookstore this past week looking to see if they were carrying my book, which at this time has been out about a week. And I see an end cap dedicated with nothing but books with curse words in the title. Yeah. (laughs) It's like this whole new category of books now. And I see that book. That is a book that has been put in front of me dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And there was a time in my life when I might look at that and go, "Okay, that's some sort of a sign. Maybe I should pay attention to that book as often as I'm seeing it. But that's one of those, for the very reasons you state, I've not opted to read at this point. Now that may change at some point in the future. I don't know. I can't say for sure. But I've not opted to read that and, and books like it yet because there are other books that, at least for me uh, and, and my uh, uh, point in life and, and what I want to do and work with and, and and learn and the people I want to learn from, that book's not on that list that we talked about a moment ago. It may eventually make its way on, but right now it's not on the list. And, and there are plenty of other books that get on there and I might read 10 or 20 or 50 pages, it's okay to decide if the book's not doing it for you to, to set that down. You're not obligated to finish it just because you bought it.
0: (laughs) And and I admittedly, I do. It's on the bookshelf behind me and I got it to see, and I did it for the same reason. I look at the headlines generally daily of USA Today. Kind of see, this is the pulse, man. This is what people are participating in. And I'm curious as to what they're getting fed and why they're interested in that. But again, to look at it and go, man, if everybody's buying it, so you know, maybe I should. To be, to go back to what you said, to read the book specifically, Chosen For You. Which is an interesting, I'll, I'll bring you a, a concept here, Jeff, mm-hmm. that I had not thought about until I read your book. Literally talked about it with one of my kids this morning Mm -hmm. as we were waiting in line for something. I pulled the book out. I said, here's here's a curious thing. And I'm going to try to be tactful because I'm not trying to be against college. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that, no, my son brought up the term, Jeff, of active reading is what they call it Mm -hmm. apparently in high school. Because I told him he was asking about what I was doing. I was sitting here reading your book and then taking notes, which is what I do. I read I read, so it comes in, I mm. think and process something enough to spit out a question, a to, mm. you know, something for us to talk about. That's what I do here. And I told him, man, I get to do this for my work, and it's so great because it helps me engage with the book. He says, oh, dad, we call that active reading. And I thought, how interesting, especially as we look to college, that we go there to participate in active reading. How often are you in a college class where you're going through a book, you're going through a text? You're having a teacher take you through that and, in a sense, force active reading, force you to engage with it, memorize, understand, whatever, and that is that a pull for that platform because left to ourselves over here, we're just not as prone to proactively, intentionally do the same thing in our home, in our office.
1: Yeah. Interesting, interesting thought. Uh, you know, when I was in school, I did go to college reluctantly. I didn't want to go to college. I wasn't sure what I was going to study at first, but I was ready to be done with school. I did not do particularly well in school In school, if I'm being honest, and this is no knock on teachers. Some of my teachers have been some of the most impactful people in my life. My sister's a teacher and a really good one has raised a couple of fantastic kids in the process, uh, but school educated out of me the desire to want to read Hmm. school educated out of me, the desire to want to learn such that when I got out of school and I've told your dad, this, I was thankful. All the learning was done. Quote unquote. That's that was my attitude. Oh, I don't have to learn anymore. I don't have to go to school anymore. Thank goodness. I don't have to do that anymore. Hmm. Well, later in life, uh, in my early thirties now, I I don't read for the better part of my twenties. I get into my thirties and I discovered that there are books out there written by people who are experts in things that interest me. Who knew? I didn't at at 33. I'm embarrassed to admit that, but I didn't know there was a Seth Godin out there. I didn't know there was a Dan Miller out there. I didn't know there was a Jim Collins and a Pat Lencioni and a Liz Weissman and on and on and on. Someone introduced me to one of those folks. Someone introduced me to Zig Ziglar in my early 20s, and I ignored it. I wasn't mature enough uh, to I think it was The Secrets of Closing the Sale, if, if I'm not mistaken, because they were suggesting that yeah. you know radio sales was where the real money was at. I was in radio, not radio programming, but radio sales, and you need to understand sales. So it was Zig's book sure. and Augmandino, uh, an Augmandino yeah. book. And I wasn't mature enough at 21, 22 years old to appreciate those books. But at 33, similar books being uh, sat in front of me, and I've since gone back and read everything Ziggler's ever written, I believe. And Mandino as well. Uh, and it was different, like the stars and planets aligned and I just ate it up. And I found that, and this is the case for a lot of people. And I think even James Clear, you've mentioned his name a couple of times. I think he talks about this in Atomic Habits or has at least tweeted about it. I can say that much. Yeah. But when when you read books geared to your interests, you will never be bored. Uh, and that's okay. It's okay. Because what happens is as you read about your interests, things that excite you, things that fascinate you. You discover new interests along the way that leads you down new paths. You never would have gone down were you not reading about the things you know today interest you.
0: You said, you know, books written by, you realize books written by people who are experts in things I'm interested in. That was thankfully brought to me at some point to, it was somebody said, do you, do you realize this? That so often, You have the opportunity to read a book that is the culmination of everything somebody took a lifetime to learn in one book. Now, obviously, we have authors who write a lot of books, but to some degree, I mean, they're talking about years of experience and learning and wisdom that they've distilled down in. And if you've got a good editor, they're going to make you really distill it down in. To a book that you can read, in, in, in essence, a handful of hours and benefit from what it took them a lifetime to learn. And that was so convicting to me again on the opportunity I have. And there's the old, you probably know, what's the old quote that if you read three to five books on a certain topic, you're an expert, right? You remember that one. I, ar- arguable, but...
1: Yeah, the the studies, the most recent studies I've read, and some of these are in the book. Uh, you read one book on a topic, you know more than twenty-seven percent of the okay. population on that topic. You read five books on a topic, and I think it jumps to fifty or sixty percent, or somewhere in that range. You read ten books on a particular topic, and you now know more about and more than ninety-five percent of the general population. Now, I would argue as to whether or not that makes you an expert. You know more about the topic, okay. but I think until you start. Until you start putting into action what you've learned you're, and, and developing wisdom, you're probably not a true expert yet if we're being technical. But that's but reading about those things is is a critical first step. And again, by reading about them, you're doing something that the majority of the public is not doing, which by itself, before you even get to the doing, gives you a tremendous edge in life and in business and in, and in work and career.
0: It's interesting because it, Almost brings to the surface if you have a problem. So everybody go out there and make a list. What are your biggest problems? What are your top three <laughs> problems right now? What are the things most troubling to you? And you can take it the other way, the things you most desire, the most mm-hmm. you know, passionate thing you want, whichever way speaks to you. I know that you know Tom Ziegler has talked a lot about the study that they did on goals versus problem solving. And I think it was 80% of people really resonate more with problems, problem solving. Then they do goals, even though the end is is still the same. here's something I want to achieve. It fulfills a desire or it solves a, a, a problem. So when we list those out, what are those top ones? What a great question, man. That's interesting. So how many books have you read on that specific issue? Mm. I feel like that's what I can do to myself. I can do to, you know, with my kids and we can do now here to the audience Say, what have you done that? Because I think we're as a culture, we know that we're more prone to complain and lament than to say, man, here here you go for, for nothing. You can go to the library for free, or you can go online. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the average price, I don't know audio books. I don't do those at all, but the average price of most of the books that I buy is 15, 20 bucks. I don't know if that's If that's Mm -hmm. fair, but for such a low cost, to go back to what you said, if I read 10 books and knew 95%, maybe I'm not an expert, 95%, and we're talking, you know, to under 200 bucks, Mm. you can't touch a, a licensure, a certification, a degree with that.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny, uh, disliking school as much as I did when I got a chance then a few years later to create my own curriculum via books. Yeah, it was a completely different story. That to me was a fascinating idea. And so when it came time for me to recognize that there was a skill I needed to learn in the job that I was at at the time or uh, in my business since then, a skill I needed to learn to better run my business or to launch a new product or service or whatever it might happen to be, I began collecting books and making a list on books that are going to help me solve that problem, as as you mentioned a moment ago, uh, when you've got a problem that you need to solve, chances are 99 times out of 100, somebody's already solved it. And chances are, again, someone's also written a book about it. That manifested itself to me early in my career back in the radio days when I first started reading and I began experimenting with what I was learning, things that I wanted to understand to help the company grow and skills I needed to be a part of that process and make myself a more valuable employee. Kevin, as I began experimenting with some of these things, the things I tried that did not work were quickly forgotten. It's interesting how that works. The things that I tried that did work got me noticed. And that led to me being asked to then present to other uh, departments within the company nationwide on the things that I was learning, the things that I was experimenting and, and the ones that were successful. Well, I had never really done public presentations before. Uh, and I was suddenly being asked to do that throughout the, the company. And yeah. so I began creating a curriculum for me on public speaking and I niched it down. I, I started with public uh, or rather uh, presentation design because I thought, uh, you know, if I feel good about my slides, I'll be more confident when I give my talks. And maybe maybe they'll be staring at those instead of staring at me and that'll make me less nervous. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do it that way today, but that's where I started. And then I went to presentation uh, structure and presentation delivery and how to get over the fear of public speaking and. More recently, how to get booked and paid to speak and how to inject humor into your talks. There's all these different subcategories within a category like that, public speaking. And you can create your own curriculum, You know, starting with as little as three to five books in each one of those subcategories to the point that as you exercise these things you're learning over time, you do become a true expert in that thing. You,
0: I love that line, creating my own Curriculum. It makes me think of homeschooling. We've over time, we, I always say we, and need to clarify my wife primarily, has homeschooled kids uh, throughout the years, and that's what they Mm. do create their own curriculum. So she'll look at, gosh, here's the regular curriculum. I I think that's irrelevant for you guys. I don't think you need that. Let's find (laughs) what we think is relevant. That's the beauty of homeschooling as opposed to public school where you don't have as much choice to create your own curriculum. So the thought of yeah who do i want to be what mm-hmm. do i want to be capable of i get to create my own curriculum you know on on that topic though of coming back to what i said about you know if we go to let's say formal education to pick on that somewhat it's it is helpful a benefit is you are then forced required uh held accountable to that active reading to actually participate not just read it you got to know this stuff so that's a benefit of that you don't get to pick the curriculum Um, you you don't have the flexibility that I like but you know that is a a benefit of that over here if I'm going to do it on myself am I disciplined enough to take to figure out what I need and then to engage with it. And it reminded me as I was thinking about it, Jeff, of self-employment. And I know even amongst my kids, I've got some that, I mean, all I know is self-employment. That's all I've ever done. And I've had, I'll, I'll never forget one of my kids saying, he said, at least at this time in life, dad, I just want someone to tell me when to show up and tell me what to do. It's so much responsibility. I'm struggling with being accountable to myself and making myself go do X, Y, Z. And so I'm going to go get a job. I know I'm not making as much per hour and I'm so grateful that they had that awareness and that they have that Mm -hmm. and they'll go and that they're going forth, you know, with that. But there's another reality that if I want to become an expert in, gosh, what's a, what's a field that doesn't require, I was gonna say accounting, but you know, often to do that, you do have to have a degree. What's a, uh, gosh, what's a subject where I could say, good, I could go to college, they they create the curriculum, they take me into it, they force me to engage or require me to engage, Hmm. as opposed to over here, where I have to do it, I said have to, have to or get to. There's a big, there it is right there. Do I want the responsibility? Maybe that's a fair, benign statement. The responsibility of creating my curriculum and getting myself to engage with it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, to me, it's an easy uh, decision uh, to make. Uh, th- the thing is, is we often will put off those hard things. There, there's, there's sacrifice that comes with self-discipline and growth, right? Yeah, yeah. And that sacrifice is hard. And so what we do is, is we put, off, put that off because of the pain involved. But what we don't recognize when we do that is there is another pain that comes later, eventually it's called the pain of regret. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we can we can have pain now that comes with sacrifice and growth, or we can have the pain later that comes with regret. I'd rather have the growth and the knowledge gained now, even though that might be a hard thing, and not have the regret later, if it's up to me.
0: Uh, absolutely. And, you know, with this, I mean you bring us back to the point of it's one thing to read it's another thing to learn mm. and that is so simple so base so elementary so pithy and yet it does you brought me back to that as a core focal point am i just am i reading or am I learning and I we were doing some kind of a personality profile recently and it kind of nailed me on being the kind of person where you and I can be looking face to face you can be talking to me I can be looking in your eyes I can be nodding I can even say gosh yeah whatever and I'm not listening at all and you'll finish <laughs> and if you ask me so what do you think and I'll I do that it's I'm not I, it's not as funny as it used to be but I'll have to just admit to my wife, to my kid, whatever, go, I'm so sorry. I did that to a counselor recently. And she, she then put it back to me. I said, I'm so sorry I was not listening at all. I was still thinking about the last thing that you said. And i writing letters <laughs> in my head that I can do that with reading. You know, I can do that. I can read it. And again, back to what you said. Through osmosis, I mean, there's some osmotic, can I say that, a benefit to that. <laughs> but am I really... Mm. Am I really learning? And then am I the kind of person, I think, to come back, I like the concept of saying I'm the kind of person who does X. I like being an athlete. I'm the kind of person who mm-hmm. does athletic stuff. I'm the kind of person who works out. I like that. Am I the type of person, am I a learner? Is is that just a part of my label or not? I mean, that's that's pretty stark right there To to, to ask, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think something that can help with regard to retention and, and comprehension as okay. well um, is uh, to be very intentional. Back to that word again. Yeah. When it comes time to read, and for me, it looks like this, and th- these are some some things we talk about in the book as well. Is I've got a reading chair uh, dedicated to that task. Uh, you know, find a place in your home, preferably in a room that has a door that you can close, that you can. Can dedicate to reading or at least that's that's um you know a place that you can shut off and and get out of everybody else's way i like to put on a pair of noise canceling headphones my my warning to you and i learned this the hard way um be sure everybody else in the house knows you're wearing them otherwise <laughs> they'll be shouting your name and wondering why you're not responding yeah um, and then i'll connect that though the phone is not in the same room with me i'll connect the uh, noise canceling headphones. With an app like Focus at Will that plays sort of ethereal type music without a real melody or lyrics, and allows me to do just that, focus. Or uh, an app like Adagio, which is an app that allows you to search classical music based on mood, mm. and I'll, I'll I'll connect to one of those and have those uh, you know low volume in my headphones, and then I set a timer, and it's usually a uh, 25 minutes. Sometimes if I'm feeling ambitious, it might be as much as 50 minutes. So I'll uh, the Pomodoro technique, right? Um, but usually 25 minutes. And I'll simply read as much as I can in that time and not worry about whether it was a whole chapter or a whole section. But read what I can read because I think that's the important thing. When you set aside time to read, don't beat yourself up if you didn't read as much as you had hoped you'd read. Just answer the question, did I use that time to read? Did I, did I do this thing I said I was going to do? And I think that's the main goal. You need to strive for it. now. If I haven't finished a chapter yet in that time, I'll set it aside, take that five-minute break, come back, set another 25-minute timer, and finish. You know where I left off, um, and it's later than it's in the next session. If if that follows immediately, where I'm taking notes, all I've allowed myself to do in those reading times, oftentimes, is just make markings, things that I'm going to come back to later, like an asterisk for something that's important, a question mark for things I maybe don't understand, or. or possibly not even sure I agree with, and then maybe a cue for a particularly pithy quote or something the author said that I thought was, was well-written. Yeah. Uh, and that's all I do. I come back later, and now I'm just going to take notes based on uh, those markings that I made, go back to those. And when I write my notes, Kevin, this is key, I'm writing them as if I'm writing for someone else, and preferably for someone else who has not read, what I just read. Interesting. And so that forces me to have to really synthesize it down. Because the reality is future you that comes back to these notes six months from now is someone else. (laughs) Uh, you're, You're a different person. You've grown. You've done this thing. You've done that thing. You're coming back to these notes in a few weeks, a few months. You need to understand them out of context as if you were not the person who wrote them. If you'll write your notes that way, then you'll get a whole lot more out of them when you do come back to them. And it's important to understand too, that you need to log and and schedule times that you're going to come back to these notes. Otherwise, you'll take notes and they'll just sort of uh, disappear in the ether and you'll never go back to them or do anything with them.
0: Okay, that was worth the price of admission for me right there, (laughs) Um, really, because I do. So I've gotten into the habit, really recently, um, I don't, I I used to read a book and I'd have a journal next to me and Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you why, but I've gotten into the habit now of taking a book and I underline things that stand out to me. I actually bought mm-hmm. these, uh, here, hold on <laughs> here. I'm holding it up for the video. I bought a whole box of these narrow or thin wooden bookmarkers. It's got a hole so you can put a you know feather on it or something like that, I guess. But I use it as my bookmarker because now it's a solid line and I can underline it, which I am the least... OCD person you'll ever meet, uh, but I'm so messy that I find myself underlining stuff and I I scratched up through the writing. Now I can't read the dumb thing. (laughs) So I use this little thing. So I underline it, but then I'll go into the back of the book and the empty pages, which I love the empty pages. A lot of times these days, sometimes they won't have them anymore, but I love the empty pages. Mm. I'll put the page number and I'll put the thought. But I like what you said, Jeff, that you are, because it reminded me of Zig. Uh, Zig Zig, that was his thing. Mm. He said, I read every day. He said, I read three hours a day. This is his mantra. Three hours a day. And I read with the intent of having something to impart to others. Mm. That's what I just heard you say, that you are writing notes to yourself that you could, in essence, impart to others or impart to yourself. I'm going to adopt mm. that instead of just writing the thought because I'll kind of hit the highlight, blah blah blah. To say how would I say this to impart it back to me or to someone else? That's powerful yeah, chemistry.
1: Well, that's great to hear. What you're doing is essentially is, is is you're writing it in such a way that you're preparing yourself to teach it to someone else, were you to that's need great. to. And I think just that's that great. act of. Even if you get to that point, and I often do that, I'll find myself in mastermind groups and other settings, book clubs, uh, teaching what I've learned from a book that I've just read. And that the act of doing that, too, forces you to truly synthesize it uh, so that anyone can understand it. And it forces you to put it into your own words and share it from your own heart. Uh, so that's a, that, that teaching um, uh, process is wonderful when it comes to uh, retention and, and comprehension.
0: So I guess from a mechanic standpoint, it we need to talk about audio versus a physical book. Mm. I am uh, admittedly I want a paper. I want, I want the paper in my hands. I pretty much ninety nine percent of the time I require it. If I'm going to have somebody on the show who's got a book, which I almost yeah. always do, I want it in my hands because. Well, that's the I guess that's the question. Is is my because even valid? I, I just say. <laughs> historically, I do think that I struggle with auditory processing. I I wonder if I really have a, a legitimate, you know, labeled issue with that. However, because I don't like it, I also don't participate with it that much. I just do read it. So it's a, it's a, it's a muscle. I'm not also working out at all. So I've just gone fully over here to the visual. And, but I wonder, and I was thinking about it as you talked, I wonder if part of that too, is when I have the book in hand and a my little underwrite, you know, un, my little bookmark to underline and a pen, I'm fully engaged. If I'm listening, then my eyes are able to go elsewhere and wherever my, my personally, Kevin Miller, wherever my eyes are is where my attention is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a struggle for me. So if I had to listen to something auditorially, which once in a while I do, if I'm going to really pay attention, I'll you talked about noise canceling headphones. Sometimes I'll, sh- I'll, I need to shut my eyes and I have to stop it constantly. I have to stop it and take notes. We can't do that. How do I say this and be kind to the people who are doing audiobooks as they do a hundred million <laughs> things, because maybe they're really good at auditory comprehension. But for me, man, it, it's, I'm gone. How do you reconcile the audio verse physical?
1: Yeah, and it goes back to something you were talking earlier, talking about earlier with regard to your son and active listening. I okay. think a physical book, uh, for some of the reasons you stated, cannot be interacted with unless it's actively. I mean, you're with a physical book, you have to interact with it in an active way. You can't not do that. But with an audio book, you can get away with engaging with it passively, just okay. hearing it, and your eyes are doing it like you said. And so to me... That is one of the reasons why I far prefer, like you, a physical book, because I know a physical book is going to force me <laughs> to actively engage with the book. I, I'm, I'm having to use my eyes and my brain uh, and uh, yeah, my ears in a sense that I'm, yeah. I'm sort of reading it out aloud or in my mind anyway. So in, in one sense, you could argue that. Uh, now, if, if for, for your season in life right now, and this was the case for me at one point, if, you're, if you believe your only option for reading is to leverage say your commute time if you have one um in this day of delta and COVID, yeah um and and you can only leverage that time to read then some reading or listening to audiobooks is better than nothing at all so so i wouldn't discount that entirely especially if that's the only option you feel like you have but i believe uh that there's something magical that happens with physical books much like the studies that show that you know writing uh, notes or anything else by hand does wonders for retention and comprehension versus where you typing those same things on a keyboard. And I think there's something special that happens when you read a physical book, even versus an ebook, let alone an audio book. And there's something spatially happening in the way the brain engages with a book that has two sides. Right? There's a left-hand page and there's a right-hand page. And as I'm reading along and I go, oh, you know, the author mentioned something about this earlier. Let me go back to that. Your brain instantly remembers, well, where was that on the page, top, middle, bottom? Which side of the book was that on? Left, right. And so we we engage with a book so much more actively, so much more differently than we do, a physical book, than we do any of those other kinds.
0: Well, and maybe it depends, again, on what you're doing. I'm thinking about this as you talk and describe it that we're talking about the aspects of, again, we're calling it active reading. I was just on a road trip and I was sitting there doing my driving and my wife was over here listening to a book, an audio book, but there's nothing. We were out in the middle of Colorado where there's not in the mountains, there's nothing to look at. And so she was able to do that. She could pause it. She could take notes. And I would say, Mm -hmm. man, that's, that's right on par, you know, for the most part. But yeah, if you're doing that, while you're doing other actively doing other things even driving where you got to pay attention it's got to degrade somewhat your comprehension again so don't have to say better best right wrong whatever but the point is can you come out the other end comprehending learning and having something to take action on so we've talked a lot about obviously the value or, or some of the how-tos here and some of the values you know of books now We can't do your book justice at all because you go through so many profound (laughs) values of this. But a couple of them really stood out to me. And one was getting the context of somebody else's perspective, one, from the author. But I also really like – and actually, Jeff, I'll I'll tell you that this – I I made a decision on a venture, uh, a group that I'm putting together – Uh, actually it's an online private community I'm going to be putting together for my audience that I'm, that we're just about to launch. And I went back this morning after reading your book and added in there because I hadn't made it specific in essence, a book group that we're going to go through one to two books Mm -hmm. per month together because in looking at your book, I realized, okay, I get the perspective of the other person, the writer, I'm sorry, I get this perspective, but how about getting the perspective of other people reading this book, other peers, people on the same journey. I get to do this, you know, with my wife, some with my business partner and best friend, uh, Dr. Randy James. We do that a little bit, but I don't spend a whole lot of time really doing that to go through a book like this. Read the lead to go through this. Hey, how about, you know, a 100 of us or however many it is? Let's go through this, make it a thread and really talk about The issues, how is this difficult to implement? Or, man, I had some thoughts for this. Or I disagree with that, whatever it may be. (laughs) Uh, To expand that, that's what the written book gives us. You talk about the power of groups, and I think that just the context that we get from hearing others' perspectives.
1: Yeah, and I've I've, uh, had book clubs of my own in the past. and, And one of the reasons why I started my podcast was because I needed and wanted more people around me to talk about the books I was reading yeah Uh, and I thought well I'll surround myself with a podcast audience and and we'll talk about the books that I'm reading uh, together and and, hey I get to I get to talk to the authors too that's pretty cool so for me all of that everything that I created back then uh, when the podcast first launched especially was all about surrounding myself with other people uh, whom I could talk with about the books that I was reading I think that's Pivotal, that's key. Even whether that's one on one, whether that's, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, in a meeting at work, you taking over and being the person who leads uh, the discussion of a particular book, assuming, you know, uh, if you're not the the person in charge, the person in charge is okay with that. Uh, Or with your own team, if you're an entrepreneur and running your own company, um, or, or maybe even look for evangelists on your staff who might have a love for this and who would relish the opportunity to be the person who leads a book club uh, uh, in in your workplace uh, for you yeah. uh, and can take the lead on that. I think that any opportunity to do those kinds of things with groups of people and get that other those other insights uh, is, is a great idea.
0: Well, I have not been doing that and I'm going to start two other <laughs> key points I want to land on here, Jeff, that you pulled out in your book that just stuck out to me, creativity and communication. I find people in my audience, your audience, what I call an aspiring crowd, the kind of people who are going to read a book, like read the lead and who are going to listen to the Ziggler show. um, They want creativity. They want to be more creative. And I think we as a culture are suffering more and more each day with an inability to communicate well. And we see so many of our problems due to poor communication skills and abilities, and even just the influx of really bad communication, negative communication. But if I take those two captive, tell us your perspective, tell me your perspective on where you see reading helping us be more creative.
1: Well, and I think this even extends to not just nonfiction, which we've mostly talked about, um, but also fiction. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks. Uh, I, I I don't read a lot of fiction personally, uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, but you know, the, the regardless of the situation you're in, whether you you run your own company or you're a leader in a company or work for someone else, um, the soft skills are where it's at, right? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Not everybody wants to admit Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. But the soft skills are where it's at. And reading is going to help you infinitely with these, well, immensely with these soft skills. I mean, think about reading a novel. Think about the relationships, the characters, the empathy you're going to develop uh, for people who are different than you that you're reading about, things of that nature. So those are, are, are critical, reading books like that. I have made it a point recently to read books about uh, Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss, uh, George hmm. Lucas. Uh, Jim Henson, all three of which written by the same author, uh, by the way, a guy named Brian J. Jones, people who I view as creative. And I want to understand how their brain works and how they come or came to the decisions that they did. And so biographies are a great way to foster creativity. It doesn't have to be about people creating uh, movies and Muppets and and children's books necessarily. Uh, It can be biographies about, you know, Ben Franklin or Steve Jobs or what have you. Um, And then as you read and as you uh, comprehend more and read more and more difficult, even books, that's naturally, without you even having to think about it, that is naturally going to lead into better communication. It's going to increase your vocabulary. You're going to learn new concepts you didn't previously know, new words and phrases and ideas you didn't previously know. And, and, and just by default, without you even realizing it, that's going to improve your communications. Re- reading books about these types of things we've talked about, creativity and, and empathy and, and relationships and novels and things of that nature, is going to impact your relationships tremendously. Because all of it, uh, collectively, is going to make you a better human being. <laughs> and again, these, yeah. these will, it'll be in ways you won't immediately recognize or won't be even immediately aware of. They just, they'll just be there because you've spent your time doing something that's truly valuable and truly impacting your your brain in the end.
0: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about fiction. I have in the past probably two years, one of my my best buddy, Randy James, got me – because he was constantly talking about this latest fiction book that he would read at night before he went to bed. And he started handing Mm -hmm. them off to me. And I just had gotten out of that, right? I'm in personal development. We don't read that fiction junk. (laughs) And so he kept giving me these books and I love it. it is one of my greatest joys. I I literally am in a time right now where I've had a bunch of great books. I haven't watched something on a screen like at night at home Mm. and I don't, I can't remember probably three mm. weeks or so, which, which I love a good movie. Absolutely love a good movie, yeah. but it, it feels so hard to find something that can hold my interest these days and that has mm. any redeeming value or makes me feel or think or whatever, but I can, the books are, are good. And so fiction books, uh, I really appreciate. So I just read because it was so stinking popular. I was curious about that. Uh, where the crawdads sing, or I think that's, I think that's what it is. Where the crawdads sing, um, the mm. books, Three years old, sold ten million copies, has like one hundred eighty-seven thousand reviews on Amazon, (laughs) and uh, where the yeah where crawdads sing. That's it. I just looked it up. So I just read it, Mm. and it's real interesting because it showcases just what you you know some of what you just talked about, the ability to Mm. to learn so much just from the books because it depicts this girl who lives out in the marsh totally pretty much on her own. I don't want to give the book away spoiler for, for mm. everybody. And what happens there by the end of the book, primarily as a result of reading, that is not the focus of the book. You know, this is character development and intrigue and drama and whatever. That's not it. But that is a, it'd be interesting to you if you haven't read it, Jeff, because, uh, it's through reading that she becomes, uh, well, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. It's, but, <laughs> but I look at that and I think that that's profound in me. Again, you're hearing, hearing my personal bias because I, give so much credit to books for anything I've ever achieved because that's what I've had books and people. But I have, again, no formal education and my kids, I'm so grateful. Maybe the best parenting thing I ever did is somehow I got them to be all voracious readers. I have one kid who was at a private school and he not only beat the most read list a little bit, he beat it by two. It was over two times as much as the the, the person ever in the history of the school, even in the high school and whatever. And he was just a little guy. Um, but more than that, back to what is he comprehended it and the stuff that I hear my kids come out with, (laughs) <laughs> again, you did not hear that from me. You did not learn that from me, especially if it's one of the homeschool kids. You didn't learn that from us or through your career. Where on earth? And they'll cite some book. And often, Jeff, it's a fiction book, but it exposed mm. them to somebody's thoughts and ideas and, and creativity. I, I mean, in, in right. all reality, um, Jeff, I I don't know. Yeah, James Clear's book on habits is the most, it's the hottest thing in personal development right now. Um, I would be, if I could wave a magic wand, I'd love to see your book being read as much that, Mm. because I I think we're suffering for a lack of reading and engaging. Um, I'll just tell you this. I I will be espousing this book. I know there there are certain books that come along. There's nobody I've ever had on the the show as a guest who's had a bad book. I wouldn't have them on the show and I read their book. (laughs) But it's interesting, even as I do that, That as future goes, as time goes on, that I find myself relating back to that book again and again and again. Mm. And I know now I'll be relating back to this book uh, because it's so, again, I think so needed, so powerful. And it's Mm. again, it's so read to lead. It feels like isn't this elementary, but it's not. It's the common sense. It's not common anymore. Mm. You've got to be getting those testimonials.
1: Yeah, to, to a large degree, you're right. Yeah, they're starting to come in now that the book has been out for a few days. Um, and it's certainly uh, intended to be an evangelical tool for people like you and me yeah. to be able to hand to that person who maybe isn't convinced of that yet. In fact, we spend the first four chapters making an argument. But there's much of the book, the the second two-thirds, I would add is for anyone in any category. Uh, If you're someone who wants to get more out of the books you read, if you want to do some of the things we talked about, like better comprehend, better retain what you read, um, or turn your reading into more of a habit, uh, you'll find keys to those things as well.
0: Well, and I'm seeing that. I just pulled you guys up in Amazon. Yeah, this book came out published Available August thirty first, and we're at September eighth, so not long there. And you guys got great rankings already, great reviews. I'm uh, I need to put my own review in there as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> thank you. I'm so grateful to my father Dan Miller for advocating to have you on here. And uh, nice I, this I. is this is one I told you I had John Acuff on the show yesterday. We recorded yesterday with his book Soundtracks, and I told him, man, mm-hmm. this is one I want my kids to read this is, is another one so i'm gonna have to get some more copies here and uh, <laughs> i want to pass it around with my kids because there are few things from an education standpoint few things maybe nothing uh that i believe in more than the power that we all have at hand to read so uh thanks for writing the book thanks for being here and giving us your time today jeff
1: Kevin, I so appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much. Thank you to your dad uh, for making the introduction. I had a great time and uh, appreciate all you've, you've done for, for the book.
0: Well, I really want this episode on reading to get the gravity that I feel it should have. I mean, there is little I want more for my kids, for instance, than to be continuously reading and learning and educating themselves and growing and realizing the depth of fulfillment they can get for their lives. I mean, myself as well. I'm continually convicted uh, about the reality of, you know, all the world's knowledge is within my reach. What am I doing to harness it? Again, you can connect with Jeff Brown at readtoleadbook.com where you can get the first chapter of his book for free and also check out his podcast called Read to Lead. Coming up next in Ziegler's show, episode 928, I share a clip from Zig where he. He doesn't negate at all making and having money. I mean, he was always outspoken about his joy of nice things, a nice house with a big pool and nice cars and clothes and vacations. But in this clip, he does balance those things with, you know, the reality if he came, if they came at the cost of his health or relationships, especially being a devoted father to his kids, would it be worth it? So from that, and you'll hear it in this show, we're going to look at a couple aspects of money, but I asked the Ziggler audience this question. If your income tripled right now, what would change in your life and or work? I was fishing to find how many people felt lack of money was holding them back from things and how motivated they, motivated they were to make more money. And then the question, as always, of what is the cost of that? So again, not to diminish at all the pursuit of making money. Uh, but just to be honest with what we might inadvertently be sacrificing for its sake and what we really want with our money. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.